Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 21, and I'm going to start at verse 1 and read down through verse 32. It says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. If any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them. Straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the fool of an ass. The disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. A very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees, and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before, and that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come unto Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Then the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God, and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. When he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said to them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive them. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him, as he was teaching, and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing. Which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered, Jesus said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. 
Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him the first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. So the title of the message tonight is The Danger of Presupposition. The Danger of Presupposition. Presupposition is really like a preconceived idea. And uh, they are dangerous. So let's, let's pray. And then we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word tonight. We pray that as we look into this word of God and this passage, I pray that you would encourage and challenge our hearts and help us to be aware of having preconceived ideas, but to come to you with an open heart and open mind to receive thy truth, uh, knowing that it is for our good and, our, and your glory. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Pharisees and the Jewish people as a whole, like many people today, had a, a preconceived notion, if you will, a presupposition, of what to expect, of what to look for, what they wanted, would be put it better, what they wanted of a Messiah. You know, of course, they were looking, you know, even the disciples were were um, uh, enamored with this and troubled by this, and and uh, uh, you know that was their main focus for a long time. Was okay. When are you going to restore the kingdom? When are you going to restore the kingdom? When are you going to restore the kingdom? That was a presumption. That was that was uh, that filled the land of Israel during the time of Jesus' arrival. And because of those presumptions, their responses to the Lord were of one of rejection. They rejected him. And you know, in, in many many commentators, and you know, if you come at this passage from a fundamentalist position or a, press, or a, a Protestant position, uh, they would say, as Schofield says in his notes, that this is the king's public offer of himself to set up the kingdom. And, uh, however, I don't believe that's true. He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He didn't come into the world to even offer to set up the kingdom. He came into the world to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. But because of this presumption that they had, uh, in fact, you know, if you, if, you know, if, hope you don't have a Schofield Bible, but if you do, he says this in his Schofield notes, because I have one. This is the king's final quote, the king's final offer, final and official offer himself, according to Zechariah 9.9, acclaimed by an unthinking multitude whose real belief is expressed in verse 11, but with no welcome from the official representative of the nations, he was soon to hear the multitude shout, crucify him. But as we think about this and their responses to him, we see, first of all, you know, he, he does offer himself, but he's rejected. And he's rejected in three ways. I'm going to notice those three ways tonight. And it's all because of their presumed, preconceived ideas of what they think should be. First of all, there was a rejection of the person of Christ. In verses 1 through 11, you know, he, he, there's a reference to the prophet, and it's the prophet Zechariah. And Jesus tells his disciples to go 
uh, to find this colt, the full of an ass. Now, it's not, it's not a, an ass and a colt. It's the same thing. It's just the, the ass is a colt. It's a young donkey that's never been ridden. That's, that's the idea here. And so this all was done in fulfillment. It says in verse 4, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the fool of an ass. So the disciples did, and, and as he went. But, you know, if you drop down to verse 11, of course, they're crying out, Hosanna, the son of David, and so on and so forth. But notice particularly verse 11, and then again in verse uh, 46. And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And then again in verse 46. When they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So in this passage, we have a fulfillment of prophecy concerning Christ. And yet the people of Israel as a nation rejected him. Only a minority received him. You know, this isn't to say there was nobody in the land of Israel or Jewish that got saved. Obviously, the disciples were all Jewish men. You know, Paul said, you know, that, you know, that he also uh, was a tribe of Benjamin and he got saved. So, so, you know, it isn't that nobody got saved, but as a nation, they rejected him. And, and Jesus is offering himself as their savior, not as their king yet, but as their savior. And, but how, we, we might ask ourselves, how can a people to whom has been given all the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning their Messiah, how can they reject him? How is that possible? How can this be? Well, when someone has a presumed idea of what should be, many times they're unwilling and willfully blind to see it any other possible way. And I believe that's what we see. You know, many of the prophetic statements concerning Christ, uh, uh, you know, that fit the description of him, and, and they are in agreement with those, yet there are some that, to their knowledge, do not fit Christ. And they just reject him because he does not align with their agenda. They don't search it out to see if they are wrong. They just presume that they are right. Uh, and again, they identify him as simply Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Now, the, pro- the, the scripture that is quoted here is Zechariah 9.9. 9. If you want to turn to Zechariah and keep your place there, because we're going to be going back there on several occasions. But Zechariah, next to the last book in the Old Testament, it has many prophecies concerning Christ. But Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. You know, when we think of salvation, we think of, we, as New Testament believers, we think of deliverance from the penalty of sin. But the word means deliverance. So it could be any kind of deliverance. And they took it to mean deliverance from the Romans. That's their preconceived idea. Deliverance from the Romans. And here's the part they miss. Lowly. Lowly. And riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the fool of an ass. Now, so the word lowly means humble. And the idea of riding upon a donkey speaks of a peaceable entrance, coming in with peace. 
and to and to to bring about the kingdom that's going to require an overthrow of the Romans. So this doesn't quite fit their presupposition. Uh, and but they overlook some other other passage of scripture here in Zechariah. Look at Zechariah twelve, verse ten. Zechariah 12, verse 10 says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And, and it goes on and says, you know, that... In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadrimmon, in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, and, every, and the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, and the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi, and their wives apart, and the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart. All the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. So, so you know, he's prophesying concerning a great mourning, as they're going to look on him who they appears. And that word... To look upon there means to look unto with respect, to regard to. And the word mourn means to wail. To tear the hair or to, to beat the breast. You know, it's a picture of one who is humbling himself before uh, his Lord and, 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 and Savior you know, it kind of reminds me of the publican in Luke chapter 18 where it says he, he smote himself upon the breast. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He smote himself upon the breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's a picture of repentance. But was that the attitude of the Jews when Jesus came on the scene? You see, they accepted the prophecies they liked. But they didn't pursue to understand those that did not fit their understanding. Lest, after all, they couldn't deny his person. You know, for example, look at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And verse 1 says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When he gathered the, all the chief priests and the scribes and people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written of the prophet, Thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not, thou, art, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people." Now go to John chapter 8 and verse 40. John chapter 8 and verse 40. I'm sorry, John chapter 7 and verse 40. John 7 and verse 40. And, you know, Jesus had of course, been teaching, and it, and it says, and many of the people, verse 40, therefore, when they had heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? See, they're, they're stuck on this Galilee thing. 
Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David, out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto him, them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye deceived also? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him? And know what he doeth. You know, so, so the implication here is, look, they didn't seek him out and ask him, were you really born at Nazareth or were you born in Bethlehem? You know, all would have taken a little investigation. It wouldn't have been hard to find out. And these are people that are supposed to search the scriptures for the truth. You know, these are lawyers and, and lawyers and, and, and wise men that are supposed to do investigation into truth. They answered and said unto him, that is Nicodemus, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went to his own house. So, you know, sort of like you may talk to somebody, like I was talking to an Amishman one time. And I said uh, something about um, about knowing that you knowing that you are saved, and uh, and you know they don't believe you can know you're saved. I said, well, First John five thirteen says, "These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life." What do you do with a person like that? He said, "Well, nobody has ever asked me a question like that before," and that was the end of it. You know, he didn't want he didn't want an explanation or he wasn't interested in investigating was he wrong. He just wanted to stick with what he believed, what his preconceived idea was. And this is what this is the, the attitude of these Pharisees here. You know, they, they rejected, you know, they have rejected this idea of a suffering savior. Isaiah fifty three. You know, Isaiah fifty three. If you talk to a Jewish person who say they say they avoid it. Or they will say it speaks about the nation. Uh, you know, how can this be? You know, if, if you come to the scriptures with preconceived ideas, what is, what is and what is not, already set in your mind, you will accept or will not accept, you will come to some wrong conclusions. You know, for example, Nazareth. They said he was from Nazareth. Was he? You know, that's really strike one against him. Because remember what Nathaniel said about Nazareth? Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? John 1.46. You know, he was also born of the lower class. You know, he was to be of the, of the lineage of David, which he was. But, but, you know, it was Mary and Joseph. They were considered of the lower class. And really, that's, that's strike two. Look at Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And verse 53. Matthew 13, verse 53. says, And it came to pass that when Jesus finished these parables, he departed thence 
And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence hath then, whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. In other words, it didn't matter what he said or what he did because of where he came from or what they conceived to be where he came from. They weren't going to accept him. They were offended at him. Rather than receive the truth, they were offended. You know, he preached that the leaders, the religious leaders, <laughs> needed to repent. And we all know that didn't go down well. You know, that was really like strike three against him. In John 8, verse 31 to 48, it says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? I mean, we're children of Abraham. We're free. We're God's children. We're free. They're in bondage to the Romans. But furthermore, they're in bondage to their own sin. They just don't know it. And Jesus said in John and, and verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen of my father, and you do not that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If Abraham were your father, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I, I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. So, you know, he preached that they needed to repent. And they thought they were righteous. So, because of these presuppositions, they rejected the person of Christ. They wouldn't receive him. They just said he was a prophet. He's just a prophet. So like the school teacher I spoke with years ago, she was Presbyterian and religious. And she said, a mother always told you, stay away from the Baptists who preach you must be born again. I said, well, what does it mean in John chapter 3 when Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But see, when confronted with things like that, obvious what people do is, they don't accept the word of God as it's given. They change the meanings and so on and so forth. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's, we, we need to stop and ask ourselves, is it okay? It, uh, are, we, are we given the authority by the Lord to receive the parts we like and the parts we don't like of the scriptures? You know, when we consider the person of Christ, we cannot just believe in him as a prophet 
or a historical miracle man doing great works, or a good teacher. That is really a denial of who he is. And again, that's, what's, that's what they said of him, that he is, he is the prophet of Nazareth. You know, if he's not the son of God, he cannot save. He cannot save. No, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. Either that or he's a liar. Cannot be both. He was God made flesh. So we see this. First, they see the rejection of a person of Christ. Secondly, there was a rejection also of the power of Christ. In verses 12 through 17, uh, and Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats to them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna, the son of David, they were sore displeased. And then in verse 23 to 27, you know, so they're, they're questioning his authority here. It says, And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? By what authority do you cast out or you over... You know, throw out the money changers. By what authority do you heal the lame and the blind? And but by what authority do you all these things? And who gave us this authority? Verse twenty-four. Jesus answered and said unto them, "I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you. By what authority I do these things? The baptism of John. Whence was it? From heaven or of men?" And they reasoned within themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all men hold John as a prophet. And the answer Jesus said, We cannot tell. He said unto them, Neither tell I you, but what authority I do these things. Of course, this rejection of the power of Christ, I believe, will automatically follow the rejection of a person for the, if you accept his person, we are forced to recognize his power and authority. Because that's who he is. He's God. But they had rejected the God-given authority of John. Therefore, they must also reject the authority of Jesus. You can't have it both ways. Because after all, John was a man sent from God. John 1, 6-8. John 1, 6-8 tells us there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. So he was a man sent from God with God's authority in Matthew chapter 3, we have Jesus, the God-man, submitting to the authority of John through baptism. Matthew 3, and I don't read all this for sake of time, but in verse 13 it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John, that's believed to be 60 miles. So he walked 60 miles to demonstrate his submission to a man sent from God to baptize. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. 
you know, and the idea of their fulfill all righteousness is, you know, that through his baptism, Jesus is demonstrating his mission. His mission of dying and resurrecting to new life. That's what baptism pictures. You know, there's no mission here of, there's no, there's no picture here of setting up a kingdom. It's dying and resurrecting to new life. And so, he said, suffered to be so. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we have Jesus submitting himself to John's authority. We have the Spirit of God bearing witness to this. And the Father also bearing witness for this voice from heaven. So you have the Trinity bearing witness to the fact that John was a man with God's authority. And to reject the authority of John as being from God is to reject God as your authority. John testified that Jesus was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, thereby saying Jesus had the power to forgive sin, to take away sin. And of course, because they had rejected John's authority, they also rejected Jesus' authority. When Jesus said to the woman, sins be forgiven, they they said, what? Who gave thee power to forgive sins? God did. And the message came through John. Came through John. And see, when confronted with the authority question, the Pharisees refused to answer. Why? Because an answer would commit them to either acceptance or outright denial, and they did not want to commit themselves as accountable to God. They were an authority unto themselves. You know, like Ahaz, we heard about in Sunday school class this morning. No, he didn't want to, he didn't want to, he said he didn't want to tempt the Lord. No, he didn't, he didn't want to be accountable to the Lord. He'd rather, he rather trust in the king of Assyria or the king of Syria. You know, this is evidence of unbelief. It was not that these things, and by the way, it was not that these things were not known. These things were known. In fact, you know, Paul said, and he's, when he's given his defense before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 and, and verses 22 to 28, he's giving his defense before Agrippa. And he says, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue on this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things that those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. So all these things are written about in the, in the prophets and Moses that Christ should suffer, that he should be first, that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the Gentiles and to the, uh, to, unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. And by the way, King Agrippa did not refute him. He simply said, he says to King Agrippa, Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. In other words, he was aware of what the prophet said. He knew what the prophet said. 
But he, like the Pharisees, did not want to commit himself. And this is how Jesus describes them. In verses 33 through 36 of our text, and he gives them a parable. Uh, through 46, I'm sorry. And, and, he, and, he, and in this parable, uh, he says in verse 33, There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went in a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent husbandmen that they ought to receive the fruits of it. The husband took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Isn't that what? the children of Israel have been doing to the prophets since they become a nation? You know, instead of receiving the, the, the judgments and the commands of God, instead we'll just stone the prophets get rid of them and do what we want. That's what they've been doing. Again, he sent other servants, verse 36, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husband saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize on the inheritance. And they caught him, and he cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, that vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbands? They said unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out the vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind into powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he spake of them. So they, they understood, hey, you know, he's speaking that about us. We're the children of God. God expects fruit, service from us. And he's saying we haven't given it. But their mindset was, oh, we've done what God commanded. Despite the fact we stoned, we stoned Zechariah, we cut Isaiah in half, you know, we persecuted Jeremiah, and, you know, and, and the whole list goes on and on. And now they're ready to kill God's son. There's a third thing here we see, presuppositions. Because of this, there was a rejection of the purpose of Christ. And this is, this is really what it boils down to. It didn't fit their purposes. Again, uh, in verse 28 through 32, and I won't read all this for sake of time, but, but he said, a certain man had two sons that came to the first and said, son, Go work today in my vineyard. And, and I think when he's starting with two sons, he was talking about, okay, we have the Jews who are God's chosen people. We have the Gentiles who are all the offspring of God. They're the creation of God also. And so he came to the first, and he answered, but afterward he repented and went. He came to the second and said, likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Now, God dealt first with everybody, you know, all the nations, and then there was a calling out of the nation of Israel to be a witness on him to all the, all the rest of the nations. And so I think he's referring to the first, he's talking about all nations. And, 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 you know, and, and so then he goes on and describes this as, uh, you know, John came 
unto you, in verse 32, preaching the way of righteousness, you believed him not, but the publicans and harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards, that ye might believe him. So, so they, re, they rejected the, the, the purpose of Christ, and that, of course that purpose, Christ's purpose in coming to earth and becoming a man was not and never was to offer to set up his kingdom on earth, ruling on David's throne. His first coming. Never was. Uh, and so, when they refer to offering the kingdom, they say he's referring, you know, many people say when they're referring to offering the kingdom, he's referring to the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne of grave. But uh, if they had read all the prophecy concerning their Messiah, they would have understood that he first would come lowly to be pierced to make his soul an offering for sin. I mean, read Isaiah chapter 53. You can't miss it. In fact, I think it's verse 10 that says, He shall make his soul an offering for sin. He's a lamb led to the slaughter. You know, this was the passage that, that the Ethiopian eunuch's reading from the Old Testament. And, and, and Philip joins his chariot and says, Understand us what thou readest. And he said, How can I accept some man? God? And, he, and, he, and he gets up in the chariot with us and, and preaches Christ. It's, it's talking about Jesus Christ, who would be a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Didn't they understand? You know, Jesus told them from Moses and the prophets all these things. Moses, all those lambs pictured Jesus Christ who would be slain. Whose blood would be shed. But see, they were blinded by the fact that they wanted liberty from Rome. And that was their agenda. And because of their desires, their wants, they presumed that when Jesus, when their Messiah came, he would deliver them from the Romans and set up his kingdom, ruling on the throne of David in Jerusalem. After all, we were God's chosen people, and we should rule the world. And they thought they were automatically in the kingdom of God. After all, they are Abraham's seed. That's what they said. But, you know, the kingdom of God wasn't set up by Israel. Set up by God himself. Daniel 2 says, In the days of these kings, God shall set up a kingdom. God shall set up a kingdom that shall conquer all these kingdoms. And the purpose of God is not the establishment of Israel in this kingdom. It's not the establishment of Israel or any other religious group, as some Protestants also believe, that they're going to set up the kingdom. You know, God will set up the kingdom, and this kingdom can only be entered by the new birth. By the new birth. Uh, you know, he was, again, he was not offering them a kingdom. He was offering them entrance into the kingdom of God through the sacrifice of himself for their sin. That's what he was offering them. 
You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither corruption inherit incorruption. You know, without the new birth, without being born again, a person cannot enter into the kingdom of God. John 3, 3 through 5. Of course, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you know, how to enter into the kingdom of God. And he's really telling him, you're not in it. You're not in it. Even though you think you're, you're God's chosen people, you're not in God's kingdom. Because he says to him, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And I believe the water is referring to the Word of God. We're born again by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Spirit of God regenerates us. And so uh, we need to be born of the water and the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit of the Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye, all of you Pharisees, I'm saying to you, Nicodemus, that all of you Pharisees, ye need to be born again. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you have to experience the new birth. And that's what John preached. Repent. Be born again. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. This is the same thing Paul preached. Colossians 1, 12 through 14 says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet, or fit. You know, it's God that makes us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. See, it's, it's, we, have, we have an inheritance, uh, uh, an eternal inheritance. We're partakers of that because God hath made us fit. He's made us righteous. He's given us the righteousness of God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Even Zechariah, the prophecy of Zechariah, that which you know this passage is based upon, that nine chapter nine verse nine. If you read the rest of the prophecies, it talks about mourning and repentance of of the people of Israel. And so the Jewish problem was presuppositions. Look at look at Acts chapter twenty eight. I'm about finished here. Acts chapter twenty eight. <clears throat> And verse 25 says this, And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that Paul had spoken one word, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have, have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted and I should heal them. You know, one of the, probably the most difficult people to witness to are religious people. Because they have already preconceived ideas of what they believe about God, about Jesus. And you have to kind of undo all that. 
You have to undo it. You know, God told Jeremiah, told him to do six things. The first four were tear down, destroy, you know, were negatives. In other words, you've got to convince these people that they're trusting in lies. To get them, then he said, build and plant. In other words, then you can build them up. But you've got to see, you've got to convince them that their ways are in error. Because they're religious. They have these preconceived ideas. What they think is right. And of course, we live in a world that's full of that. You know, people have their preconceived ideas about who God is. You know, maybe God's not fair. He's unjust. Or, you know, they blame God for what's going on. What that really shows is they really don't know who God is. They have preconceived ideas. And when we come to the Scriptures, when we come to God's Word, if, if we're going to learn, if we're going to grow in our grace and knowledge of Him, we have to come without preconceived ideas. And John 7, verse 17 says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. The idea is if you're willing to do God's will, if you're open to it, if you don't have preconceived ideas and stuck on what you think is right and will not be, will not be uh, uh, corrected by God, you'll know. You'll know. See, the Jews had this idea that what they believed about the Messiah was right and they were unwilling to change it. Because the things he said about them offended them even though it was true. You know, sometimes the Bible says things about us that offends us. I heard an old preacher who just died here recently, Don Green. He's in Maine one time, preaching a Bible conference, and he said, the reason people hate the Bible is because 70% of this book is against you. It's against you. It tells you where you're wrong, but it also tells you how to get it right. And so, we are commanded to study to show ourselves approved unto God. You know what that means? We don't already know. We need to study. Let's not be like the Pharisees. Think we already know. No. We need to study God's word for what it says. Search the scriptures to who he is and accept what he says. You know, pre- presuppositions, preconceived ideas can keep us from seeing the truth and cause us to be lost. Cause the Pharisees to end up in hell. Or it can keep us, if we're saved, from a life of obedience and joy in the Lord. He that hath ears to hear. Let him hear what the Lord saith. Let's pray.